0: Based on last week's episode, you can buy um, Mellow Yellow number 51 t-shirts. Wow. Cold Trickle. Uh, fan, for, to really like, engage further in your Cold Trickle fandom, if you felt like it. I, um, Talking to people over the course of the week, I brought up the big question of what's your favorite Cold Trickle car? Mm. We have not heard one non Mellow Yellow. Mellow Yellow is the only one choice
1: it's, it's the only choice it's the best that's because like it's a fun soda it's a fun the other ones are so generic it's you gotta go mellow cool yellow. name
0: he looks cool in his mellow yellow track suit oh yeah <laughs> and his trip is nascar suit
1: I, i'm like you know what it's i'm like advertising is cool if it's like a small weird company like if he was wearing a, a pepsi jersey that would suck, but if he was wearing like a mellow yellow or like yeah. an RC cola, that's like cool. Like
0: if he had like a. This would actually be quite fitting for that movie. Dad's Root Beer.
1: Yes! <laughs> if he had a Dad's Root Beer shirt.
0: <laughs> that's Cold Trickle's new sponsor. We got ourselves a sponsor! We're it's sponsored! Dad's by, Root
1: Beer. We're sponsored by Dad's!
0: Yeah, and Cold Trickle's like, man, it's a good thing because I'm actually in the market for a dad that's and that call you idiot we're talking about root beer we're not talking about real dads yeah we're not we're not
1: but sponsored by like a legion of fathers you fool <laughs>
0: <laughs> hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast the academy academy the show that discovers the absolute undeniable and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career i'm don saunderson And I'm
1: Patrick Grimion.
0: Welcome to the Academy, and welcome to Dirty Cops Week.
1: Oh, God. The slimiest and the stinkiest of police officers. A couple of the
0: slimiest movies you'll come across from the late 80s, early 90s, from the Scott brothers, both seemingly trying to outdo each other (laughs) in nasty behavior. Who wins? We'll decide as we get into 1989's Black Rain and 1991's the last boy scout oh man um enjoyable man
1: i yeah. uh, no complaints
0: here on, on, on enjoying these two movies i watched much. i watched
1: these i watched these two movies back to back as well this morning great time very yeah. fun way to spend the morning <laughs> this is um you know i'd seen both before
0: black rain i saw a couple years ago and i actually hadn't seen the last boy scout probably in about 20 25 years mm. um you know black rain grew in my estimation and last boy scout like lived up to all of my childhood memories of it <laughs> i we, we watched it as kids we, we were you know diehard fans hudson hawk fans mm. um bruce willis fans we've made it clear on the show we're bruce willis fans on, on this program and i remember when we watched last boy scout my parents watching it with and they're like this movie seems a little darker than yeah. some of his, his other ones.
1: <laughs> it's like if 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 uh, never did die hard and just became more depressed.
0: Yeah, he like went to the Nakatomi Tower. His wife barely paid attention to him. Then they got divorced. Yeah. And that was kind of it for McLean. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I oh, guess I live Mac- in LA now. <laughs> yeah. Uh really spectacular were both these new to you
1: yeah um you know uh black rain like i said lives in my i've said this in a previous episode but my grandfather had a copy of this on vhs and i remember just seeing this like and always being kind of like in awe of it it was like it felt like a forbidden fruit both posters say a lot
0: Oh yeah! what needs to do about these films yeah. <laughs> kind of the vibe of these particular films that we'll yeah. be watching today
1: yeah you have the the the, the michael douglas with his, his arms crossed and his sunglasses he's like and...
0: straddling a motorcycle naturally if he's a motorcycle man we'll get into it yeah he's a tough customer <laughs> he's a he's he lives a bit on
1: the edge just just a hair. Just, just a hair. hair on the edge. He likes to pretend he's a bull on his motorcycle. That's
0: he just... think and he thinks... It's hard to say if Nick Conklin thinks he's a cool guy or if Michael Douglas thinks Nick Conklin is a really cool guy. Uh,
1: uh, I think, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think we will see. Um, <laughs> but
0: we wanted to start a new tradition here in the Academy Academy before we get in these films. Black Rain is currently streaming on... Showtime and or Paramount Plus, Mm. also available to rent if you felt like it. There's also a terrific special edition Blu-ray if you're interested in physical media. Uh, Conversely, Last Boy Scout, also on Showtime and Paramount Plus currently, um, but not as well represented in the physical market. Um, I picked up a DVD, the Blu-ray nowhere to be found where's the blue where is the blue
1: how is there a tony scott film with no blu-ray that's this this one deserves
0: a three disc deluxe edition with commentaries and everything in between i want to know well i want to know i guess what shane black thinks of all this we will talk about his his role in this um (laughs) near fiasco but ultimately of freaking blast of a picture uh but we wanted to present the options first before we get into it and spoil the hell out of these movies so if you felt like pausing the program right now heading over to your paramount plus
1: box yeah (laughs) no don't watch the stand don't watch the new the stand i know you want to watch that
0: no jackass forever is on there i know that's tempting if you haven't watched it yet Uh, yeah it's great We can vouch for it. We both love it. I did love it.
1: I did love it. But the the antics of Wee Man will have to wait. The antics of Wee Man.
0: Although (laughs) the Jackass Boys probably could have found a place in the last Boy
1: Scout. Yeah, Uh, they all could have uh, been sleeping in that car with Bruce. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So we
0: want to give you all the opportunity to Check those out. They're both readily available. These are not tough finds. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into them, we'll be doing Black Rain first, followed by the last Boy Scout. Boy, there is a lot to talk about this. So, where we left off with Ridley Scott. A sleepy dud. How about that? (laughs) Yeah! As a way to describe someone to watch over me. Yeah. Comes and goes. Mm Mm-hmm. Um uh, someone yeah. watch over me while we all kind of slept through the release of that movie.
1: Yeah, uh, America snored.
0: <laughs> as Amer yeah, America gave a uh, a shrug. You know? It was yes. Just kind of a shrug. Yeah. 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 Um really though, he knew he had to move on quickly. So within a, a, a nary nary to a 2-year window He's back on the scene with 1989's Black Rain. Now, how did he get involved in Black Rain? Script had been going around Hollywood. People loved this idea. It was a very simple idea, basically, of American cop goes to Japan, culture clash involved in American crime. Why is this such, such an intriguing idea? Because it already had been done in the 70s in a film called The Yakuza. Directed by Sidney Pollock, starring Robert Mitchum as the man in the our American man in Japan and his Japanese co-star, none other than Ten Ken Takakura, who's also the guy in Black Rain. Oh no! Yakuza rules. Written by Paul and Leonard Schrader too. It's, oh um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. it's it's a good it's a good you know, but it's a seventies movie. Black mm-hmm. Rain is a. Distinctly late 80s early. So eighties, yeah. Yes. Uh originally developed by um the screenwriter, the screenwriter Craig ballatin mm-hmm. who was initially involved in it, who's actually done a lot of script doctoring since then for Ridley Scott, uncredited work. Um and he kind of pitched out the idea to the producers uh, Stanley Jaffe and uh, Sherry Lansing. Mm-hmm. who brought in a young writer to kind of help them develop it further named Warren Lewis to build out this story, which also caught the attention of one Michael Douglas, who's a producer on the film as well. I love his Michael Douglas presents. I don't know if you caught that at the very beginning. <laughs> no, this. like, didn't. that's the name of his production company. It's just Michael Douglas.
1: Oh my God. I love it. Yeah, He's
0: Horrible. in he's yeah. And so, and he got interested because he knew he, so he basically is a. The hottest point of his entire career right now Yeah, in 1989. He is coming off of his Oscar win for Wall Street. And Easily, I mean, we haven't even done a Michael Douglas bracket. It's been bandied about, but we have not done one, clearly. You can't go through our archives and track down a Michael Douglas bracket. It doesn't exist. Yes. But sight unseen, Wall Street wins yeah. the Michael Douglas bracket it is his defining role
1: it's iconic it's an it, iconic character
0: yeah it's an amazing performance and it's amazing character and it's an, a, a movie i really like a lot too his following movie he followed that up with fatal attraction where he kind of defined his um this is what happens when you're a suburban yuppie who steps out of line sexually <laughs> um, <laughs> the c- complete nether fear of sex women and disease that was riddling all suburban american upper class white men in 1987 <laughs> embodied in one man michael douglas in fatal yeah. attraction which was like the big what, i think we had looked it up before it was like the number one or two movie the, that entire year it was i
1: think huge. it was second highest grossing it's crazy absolute smash directed yeah. by
0: adrian Lyne, rsa Woo!
1: associate man the lime returns
0: yeah adrian Lyne back in the mix so Michael Douglas had his pick, and he was like, I have an opportunity to kind of um, try something different, try something I've never done before, try a different kind of thing as an actor. Stretch my wings as an actor, and I got kind of full power here. Mm-hmm. Arguably, the lead actor in our next film is in the same position.
2: <laughs>
0: um, things go in a different direction, though, for each mm-hmm. guy in the, within this. So they were michael douglas was in they kind of have this package deal we do not have a director yet initially they went to and would developed it with paul verhoven who would have made a much different film yes <laughs> clearly paul verhoven um though got a little spooked because basically at this point in time uh relations with japan are vastly different than you would find today and the other thing too um someone brought up on the blu-ray is if you watch a lot of japanese movies from 1989 and backwards and even to today um a great deal of them take place in small towns and countrysides and or are period pieces there are not a lot like in the heart of the metropolis Mm -hmm. at least there weren't at this time period reason for that it is hella hard to get any control and shut streets down in say tokyo gotcha. according to the and these folks and so that and the subject matter kind of spooked paul verhoven um so we played it kind of safe and dropped out but those items actually are precisely what excited one ridley scott mm-hmm. about this and i will tell you this man a lot of these shots in this movie despite the fact that it is not taking place in the future or in a dystopia or whatever distinct Blade Runner vibes.
1: Huge. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. like I think
0: he he was yeah, already Ridley... inter- he was already super duper interested in this aesthetic and world.
1: Yes. I think and I think that like Ridley Scott like got like a lot of his inspiration for Blade Runner from at the time, modern day, like Osaka and Tokyo. Yes. I think I read. Yeah, I think I read something that like, like it was Osaka specifically because Tokyo and Kyoto were like kind of like too clean and sterile at yeah. this point, and Osaka was like the uh,
0: had the, the real energy and vibes. And yeah. It was like the, like was like the underbelly, manufacturing underbelly that he was looking for. Of course, there is. Spoiler alert: There is a lava factory in this yes. very <laughs> And Michael Douglas does a shakedown act.
1: It is a straight uh, up a lava. Uh, you know they don't only exist in the heart of America, folks. No, lava factories man. happen everywhere.
0: Hey, can we bring back the lava factory jobs back to America?
1: Yeah, my 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 my, 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 my grandpa
0: worked in a lava factory.
1: Yeah, my my grandfather in in Reading, Pennsylvania, he worked in a damn lava factory, yeah. and now it's he gone.
0: Churned the lava. You know how it
1: is. (laughs) Turned it, yeah, massaged it.
0: But um, basically with this one, which was kind of interesting... Oh, and then um, it should also be noted that Verhoeven landed on his feet. His next film was Total Recall. He he ended up just fine. He's fine, fine. yeah, he's (laughs) good. And then a couple years later, collaborated with Michael Douglas infamously on Basic Instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, The film, though... uh, You know, the Ridley Scott book we've been looking at, um, the Ian Nathan book, the big uh, coffee table book, Mm. um, kind of declares this as, like, Ridley's, like, kind of biggest work-for-hire
1: kind of picture.
0: Like, just a, he didn't develop the script to a standard or what have you. And I think, though, that, I think he wanted a hit. He wanted kind of a, you know spicy meatball down the plate (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and and i don't think i think that the producers lansing and jaffe were both quite powerful they had had quite a few hits and naturally michael douglas this was this is his this is his baby too
1: yeah it is so crazy that like at this time he was probably the biggest star in the world he was huge. He was it's, absolutely
0: yeah. huge. And what he's going for is what the other biggest stars in the world had in 1989. And we we're, of course, talking about the Stallones, the Schwarzenegger's, the Willises hmm. of the world. He wanted, like, an action movie. He wanted yeah. to show that he was, you know, tough guy kind he of stuff. Machismo. Machismo, indeed. And that kind of gets us to the, you know, basic plot line of Black Rain. Michael Douglas is Nick Conklin. New York police detective facing possible criminal charges this is quite gray what he he, he hates internal affairs played by two wonderful actors richard real and Stephen root nice. both much younger than you rec- you know them as now but <laughs> yes. like the perfect amount of like they do get you kind of on conklin's side of like these fucking suits
1: uh, great suits, great suits. It, in my
0: yeah. damn way. Douglas, though, is introduced. He's driving across the Brooklyn Bridge, smoking a cigarette with his sunglasses on and his leather jacket riding his motorcycle. It The cool guy alarm and alert is just, go, it's like black, you know, it's it's going nuts. It's yeah. we're we're at a ten out of ten.
1: You're you're pulling the battery out of your cool guy alarm because you can't turn it off. It's frustrating. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, we we then meet him. He goes under the bridge. And he gets in this like bizarre street race. Yeah, kind uh, of he, thing with this like guy. He's like uh, friends notice. with
1: Luis Guzman. Yeah, That's Louis cool. Luis
0: Guzman drops by, and he and it's nice to see him. Obviously. Yeah. Um, Ridley being Ridley though shoots the crap out of it it's gorgeous they're like all the new york stuff they're on the water as they're doing it like it looks like a million bucks it's awesome and it makes that's like the one of the things in this movie is like ridley scott's like tremendous eye we know he'd be the first to tell you kind of like is at constant war with the silliness of this movie and the question is is this movie supposed to be like a cut above say cobra or (laughs) you know or something like that or is it kind of like batting out of its league and probably should just accept its cobra status no offense either way to cobra
1: no, Cobra has its place. 100%. Yes, Cobra has its place. Cobra has its place. Because it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a movie with a guy named Coprietti, which is insane crime and Crime is a
0: disease, and he is the cure. he
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> need one uh, dose of Coprietti. I Cobra find Eddie. that
0: awesome that he was trying to get <laughs> Axel Foley's name changed to Cobretti, and then like six years later just reuses it for Cobra. God. like. Stallone's, like, obsession with, yo, this is a great name. <laughs> Cobretti. Hey, Cobretti. Oh,
1: not Cobretti. 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 My bad. I apologize. The real, Mary, the very Mary, real Mary name, Mary Cobretti. Cobretti. Um,
0: also, we should just, quick side note, um, massive Academy Academy related news. Oh. Reinhold, Ashton, Tinchot, Riser, all are returning for Beverly Hills Cop 4, Axel yep. Foley. This is a relief. Boys if there are back ever in town. One. The boys are back in town. If they had made, decided, if these Jokers had tried to make a Beverly Hills Cop movie without Riser, mm. without Reinhold, without Ashton, mm. and
1: even without Pinchot,
0: it, come on.
1: It, it should, come on. Yeah, this should just be a movie like one of those Sandler movies where they go to, like, it should just be the gang fly fishing. That's all I, I want the movie I... to be.
0: I take, you know, I am one of these guys who makes fun of all the people who are like, oh, I love the fan service. If it's Beverly Hills Cop, I want the fan service.
1: Yes, I want them just to hang out, have a good time. Maybe they solve a murder in Hawaii. Who, I who don't knows? Care.
0: I don't care. Put him in that cool jacket and let's have him hang out and get into antics.
1: Yes, and have, like, Bronson Pinchot just, like, unexpl- unexpectedly become part of the... He's just part of the game now. You don't have yeah. to explain
0: it. Yeah, uh, there. I mean... We will review it on the show, we promise. We'll do a bonus for it when it comes out. Clearly we have to. We have and we'll to. We'll watch Bivil's Cup Three to tie the circle together. Anyway. <laughs> so Nick, after he gets done with his motorcycle race, we find out internal affairs and Stephen Root and company are after him. Uh he is he is not Serpico by any means. He no. He would be one of the goons. He would murder Superco. Yeah, there is this like, there's definitely this like, how am I supposed to do my job, like quality to him that you're like, yeah. And then we find out too. Here's the deal too on this. You he he's divorced, of course. He's got he's got a bunch. Of, he's like got Ethan Hawke's kids from Brooklyn's <laughs> Finest. <laughs>
1: Nowhere, only spoken about, never seen.
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah, he's up to his ears. And here's the deal though, man. That apartment he has in Brooklyn that's overlooking the bridge. Uh, that's it. amazing. It's actually amazing stuff. Oh, it's it's I, mean, cr- I guess yeah. in eighty nine it hadn't totally been gentrified, but I mean, my man, hang on to that for a couple extra years. You got a million dollar property.
1: Yeah, you'll be fine. Least, yeah, you're <laughs> fine.
0: Um, so he's under vest, he's just like up to his ears. And he's got a really cool guy partner named charlie vincent who's played by the great andy garcia last time i think we saw andy garcia was godfather three if i'm mistaken um charlie nick's partner is kind of like you tell he he wants to work his way up he's like a he understands kind of the internal politics of the police department he wears like cool suits he's like very like Got five hundred dollars suit. I got, you know, women of the eighties. Did you know that? Um, <laughs> they love. They're always looking at shoes. <laughs> women of the eighties, according um, to Charlie. Yeah, ladies very, of the eighties uh, are going for the shoes. A very very cute motorcycle ride together, where he rides on the back of Nick's motorcycle. <laughs> I
2: that dude, like. Uh. And
0: so, like Nick is like, man, I am boned here, man. We got a big problem. Let's, um, let's go to lunch. <laughs> after i <laughs> after i kind of blow it with the eye because he because nick is a hothead if there ever was one which gets to patrick make sending me a text which nearly ruined the movie <laughs> for me which is that nick conklin is mcgruber um yes, it's great <laughs> outside of ripping throats he's basically behaves in a mcgruber-esque way the entire he is a train wreck. In every room he goes into, he's a jerk-ass bully. Um, he <laughs> does not listen to anyone. He has no cultural sensitivity whatsoever. He doesn't seem to respect anything. He lets his here's the biggest spoiler, he lets his partner get his fucking head chopped off. Yes,
2: he just kind of like <laughs> watches behind like, Oh no! Jack! Uh, Jack! Charlie! <laughs>
0: so um while they're at um italian food dinner or lunch (laughs) standing up at the counter just mind their own yeah having some Mattel. they um they look across the way and they see a couple of known italian gangsters having lunch with a um very dapper super cool looking japanese guy yeah. He's got a great head. His hair is cool. And this is uh, who we will later learn our main antagonist, Saito, oh. who, who is played by Yusaku Matsuda. And this is an interesting tale, kind of side B story <clears> to this <throat> entire film, the story of Yitsuka Matsuda. Now, apparently he was a matinee kind of idol, in Japan, a real like legend of his time. Um and did you know he's the basis for the lead guy in the animated version of Cowboy Bebop? They took his kind of likeness
1: for oh, that. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, Spike Spiegel. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah.
0: And um while they were shooting this movie or just prior to shooting this movie, uh he learned that um he had um bladder cancer. Mm. And um, he forgo he forgoed treatment because he thought it would affect his performance in the film. Um, he ended up dying. But this is his last movie, like two months after they finished this movie. It's really tragic. He makes an awesome impression in the movie. He's like very menacing and he's like he's got great style and he's a he's formidable. Um, a formidable foe to Conklin and company.
1: Yeah. He's genuinely like an interest. He takes kind of a, a one note uh, character and really imbues him with a sense of like fun malice. Like he makes him so much more, much like an actor in our, in the next movie. Yeah. They take like a character that could have been done, played very plainly and boringly and they He's really spice thinking,
0: him up. Yeah, he found a way to really make it playful, which is cool. And did you know that they actually looked, They actually offered the role to Jackie Chan?
1: No way. Really? And,
0: and Jackie Chan, as we know, no interest in playing bad guys.
1: Yeah, he has to um, always be the hero. Yeah,
0: yeah, and we should also note that um, Harrison Ford and Kurt Russell were also strongly considered for Nick Conklin Man. prior to Michael Douglas getting in obviously in a different world I will get to it in a bit both of those choices though in particular Kurt Russell yeah um, would have brought a different element to this movie Definitely. anyway yeah so sure. the guy our guys Nick and Charlie get involved in a shootout mm-hmm. at the restaurant Uh, it go, everything goes crazy Sato's slitting throats in the restaurant it's nuts um they get in a great chase through the meatpacking district. Ridley shoots the hell out of it. The action in the picture is uniformly good. Yes. Um, Very entertaining action sequences. It's a, just unfortunate the movie's 125 minutes long, so there's some padding between those action sequences. Um,
1: yeah, this is like a flabby. Like, at this movie, if you could, like, little sh- shed, like, 20 minutes off this film, man. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have a corker.
0: I think so too. Um, They end up catching Sato and Nick and Charlie, they get sent to Japan to bring Sato back to the Japanese authorities. They get on the airplane. Nick punches Sato out on the plane.
1: Insane. That was an insane moment.
0: He is a monstrous man. He's He's really difficult to um, sympathize with. Not that I don't think, like, characters necessarily have to be likable. In fact, in our next movie, there's not a great deal of, like, traditional likability on display. There's charm that kind of, like, balances the forces a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and there's just not a lot of charm to Nick, which gets me back to Kurt Russell. Um,
1: yeah, Kurt Russell
0: would have played him with a little bit of a wink a little bit of like I know I'm kind of an asshole I know I'm kind of like he does in big trouble in Little China basically yeah. um, you know there's always a fun vibe to Kurt Russell's kind of like knowingly wink It kind of like I'm a hero but you know it's kind of like I I know you know
1: I'm a bit of I'm, a ding dong
0: like... kind of a stinker yeah. more so than anything else so they get to Japan, almost immediately they get tricked by Sato's men, and Sato escapes. They're
1: so and, quickly, these these big dogs. It's, it's
0: embarrassing. And Conklin, what what is really interesting about this movie, and I don't maybe Ridley Scott was aware of it, and Michael Douglas never was. They're like he is like it Nick Conklin is such a wonderful example of the ugly American. From the yes. second he steps foot in Japan, mm-hmm. that it's almost a critique of the ugly America.
1: There's like times where I think the movie, I think the movie knows that he's in the wrong. I mm-hmm. think so. Sometimes it's not the case, but I think for the most part, the movie, I think, understands that Nick Conklin is. I don't know if Michael Douglas realizes no, that I Nick Conklin. Yeah, that's the problem, I think, is that the movie knows that Nick Conklin, or else he wouldn't be as much of a fool as he is in the movie. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think because Michael Douglas likes him and he thinks he's a cool guy, I think. And I think yeah. he's like, he's badass, basically. But he's a fucking steamroller. He goes in, he has no respect whatsoever for the Japanese police force. Not at all. Like, he doesn't understand why they won't let him carry a gun and just wave it around. <laughs> Japan yeah, he's
1: like <laughs> I should be able to shoot like I'm a police officer in New York that that means it applies to everywhere. I'm an American. This is yeah. my gun, you know. Yeah, very yeah, huge team America World Police yeah, energy
0: slams a hamburger down on Matsumoto's desk and like this is the here's my here's my authorization.
1: Here's my badge. Yeah, it's it has three all of patties. This is
0: it's completely out of his jurisdiction. He's already failed miserably yeah. in front of both the New York police and the Japanese police.
1: God, he is like, yeah, half McGruber and half Ellis from Die Hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. There is like that sleazy and then he's always like, hey babe. Like there's always saying always Oh saying, yeah, babe. we
0: gotta get back to that. We thank you for thank you for reminding me about <laughs> the insanity of him and Andy Garcia calling each other babe nonstop.
2: Yeah. That's so nuts. Of, uh,
0: Will Arnett in uh hot rod
1: <laughs> <Babe>. <laughs> oh god yeah but it's like in diehard it's used to like indicate that he's like a jerk. That Ellis sucks yeah the ellis sucks yeah. in this movie it's like no he's a cool guy of course he's gonna say babe yeah like, yeah it's
0: yeah he's bringing some weird like beverly hills kind of yes douchery yeah, he, he does
1: not he is not like it's so, it's so funny with a name that sounds like he was like a founding member of Tammany Hall. Yeah, uh, he is not. Yeah, he does not come up as a New Yorker. <laughs>
0: yeah, he, he's such a California guy. Yeah, 100
1: yeah. percent.
0: But anyway, somehow mm-hmm. Conklin and Charlie continue to con their way into action to try and say track down Sato and his crew. And they are assigned kind of a handler, watcher, mm-hmm. pencil pusher cop. Yeah. Assistant inspector, Masahiro, Mas Matsumoto, played by Ken Tekakura, who um, brings a lot of dignity. Yes. To the proceedings, he really does. <laughs> like
1: he does sort of elevate. He is the he's the Ryan Philippine. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to Michael Douglas's MacGruber,
0: yeah, 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 it, and even to, but he's got two MacGrubers because Charlie's not. Charlie's at least enthusiastic about the culture, but he's not much better. No, better. not he, at all. Because <laughs> he's he's dumb.
1: He is super dumb. Don't play a uh, bull right? Don't don't play like. Don't have and, your, Andy, your coat, Andy, like Gar- a cape. Andy
0: Garcia's pitch, too. He pitched that idea, the bull the bullfight fight with the trench coat idea.
1: I mean it's it works with Michael Douglas and I kinda love that insane wrinkle on one hand, but when you're yeah. doing it just in random places, that's
0: bonkers. And he and Andy Garcia makes a point of where he's like, my character was underwritten. I did my best to kind of like yeah. <laughs> elevate him and give him a little bit more juice. What he does. Which he does. Yeah, he's actually a joy to watch the movie. And, you know, I think a big part of it is, you know, this young up and coming actor. He's got second billing. You know, what happens an hour into this movie to kind of the shit get just got for real moment of the Mm -hmm. movie makes it kind of all the more stunning.
1: Yeah. Here's my I have a great, I have a just a crazy like take. And I just thought of this now. Switch the Andy Garcia Douglas, have Douglas be the guy. You know, where the thing happens.
0: Well, you make an older guy as the partner who's like, Calm down, you're a young hothead. Yes. Not like Michael Douglas, who's clearly fifteen years older than Andy Garcia. You know. It's yeah. an, that's that's an interesting interesting thing. And I think um because the turn is really important on what Nick has to kinda like learn in this movie, kinda how he gets hum has to like lose and get humbled mm-hmm. to do better. But you never really buy that he learns anything. That shit-eating grin and the thumbs up at the end of the movie—like, yeah, like,
1: what is this? You're
0: going back to stealing coke from crime scenes like t- yesterday, <laughs> yeah, man.
1: You're on the yeah. You're you're gonna be on the take immediately.
0: <laughs> so, um, they hit the hottest nightclub in Japan where they meet Joyce, played by Kate Capshaw, Willie oh. from uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Most people will remember her from. Mm-hmm. Um, also. known as as Steven Spielberg's wife Um, and she is an American in Japan who is kind of infiltrated, not infiltrated but kind of worked her way into the culture and kind of at least partial acceptance on the scene and so she's an easy, she's kind of a gateway to them. So Michael Douglas kind of uses that. Well simultaneously Andy Garcia and Moss get drunk and sing a Ray Charles song at karaoke Uh, Which is quite a scene. Andy Garcia, of course, picked the song because he thought it needed to be a little more upbeat, a little bit more fun. And then after it was over, Ken Takakura took Andy Garcia aside and said, That was the scariest moment of my entire career as an actor. Because apparently he was known as like the hard ass in Japan in all of his movies. He never even smiled in a movie. So it's like singing this drunken song was like a major vulnerable moment. Wow. For him. So Andy Garcia was like like no, you did great, man. You know, <laughs> it was like he did like tried to like you know That's be there, cool. to be there for his fellow actor, I you know, which is groovy. So they're on the case, they're on the trail, but there's all sorts of like eeriness around them. Sato's hard to track down, and then one night they're out. Andy Garcia tries to do his matador trick with his coat on a motorcycle guy. They steal his coat. Andy needs that damn coat back. Chases after um Michael Douglas gets kind of caught behind gets caught behind this fence motorcycle guy it's freaking Sato.
1: oh no pops
0: his helmet gives Michael Douglas this evil ass grin it's great <laughs> and then busts out a samurai sword <laughs> and chops Andy Garcia's head off
2: it's that and is
0: crazy like man. Did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was like, you know, expecting a shotgun or like knives, but no, dude gets his head. He loses his head.
0: Like, yeah, and then so now Nick not only needs to get his man, but he is on a mission of personal revenge. Mm. Crossing lines right and left with his new new with his new um unlikely buddy and partner, Matsumoto Moss. As they hit the scene, all leading up to a pretty groovy conclusion at this um, uh, countryside estate that um, Sato's making a deal. turns out it's all about counterfeit U.S. currency um, is what the the scheme is about. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. (laughs) And um, Sato and Nick. They get a, a great shootout between everybody involved. Al Leong from Die Hard and uh, Big Trouble in Little China, famous uh, stunt man, shows yeah. up and he's killed. He he does this great bump where he gets shot and he falls to a car that's driving away. Oh, it's that great. guy! Good, <laughs> good, it's good, really, it's really good looking stunt. Yep. And then Nick and Matt and Sato get in this rad countryside, mud filled, motorcycle chase with that each rules. other. That is like gorgeously shot. Amazingly done, and then of course this leads up t- leads to a fist fight between the two guys. And just when you think Nick is going to cross the line one more time, no, he takes him in,
1: takes him in, takes
0: yep. him in. Actually, honorable,
1: he he gets hit kicked in the balls twice and just does not flinch. It is
0: he does like these wild karate chops to like the back of Sato's neck too. <laughs>
1: <It's-> <laughs> A lot of interesting choreography. they like...
0: said that the stunt man put these like and you can see that Michael Douglas's jacket is really puffy in it. Um they had all these like padding on there because the stuntman had this idea that they'd actually like throw blows like like with the chops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which in theory I think works, but it looks a little bulky and gawky, if you right. ask me. I'm not sure if Michael Douglas fifty was in any position to be doing this yeah, kind of I think that, stuff.
1: it's just like I think it is just this one thing where you wish that, like maybe if like Michael Douglas had bulked up a little bit or something, although you don't want him to like, I don't know. Like, well, he yeah you know,
0: looks like um kind of puffy and alcoholic in it,
1: yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't <laughs> look... kind
0: of wild. Just not, he does not look as healthy as he did as like Gordon gecko in Wall Street. like no, just prior. I don't know, Who which knows? yeah,
1: which where with work which works with the character as kind of a scumbag. Like, of course, like a, you know, like a, a crooked NYPD cop would yeah, be a like, little, a, like bloated. Yeah, like one of the
0: 77 guys we met in Serpico who was not Serpico.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, one of, uh, who's that, um, who's that actor that's in, like, all the movies we do that's always, uh, Keo, like. The... Jack yeah. Kehoe. Jack Kehoe. Who we love, who
0: was in Midnight Run, too. Yeah.
1: A real Jack Kehoe type. A
0: real Jack Kehoe type. The, um, and it kind of wraps itself up where, yep. uh, East meets West, now we got two great friends. It's a bummer that the third member of our friend group uh, got his head chopped off.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all gravy.
0: Um, we should give special shout outs to Jan DeBont, who also shot Die Hard and then, of course, went on to direct movies like Speed and Twister, uh, is the cinematographer on this movie. This movie is slick as hell. It looks awesome. Mm. It, it, the Blu ray looked like a thousand bucks, man. Yeah. And if you're counting at home, that's a million dollars with a thousand dollars
1: it might be yeah, to one
0: thousand that i have put toward the cost of how slick this movie looks
1: <laughs> yeah it's just yeah it's just an, an aesthetically beautiful just a gorgeous movie to watch all the smoke all the cool like i the love lights. the lights yeah all the town like the like the neon lights yeah. that one like double-decker bus covered in like what appeared to be led lights yeah Crazy yeah, and
0: it's that, like all oh, Jan DeBond and Ridley Scott. They wanted fluorescence, They wanted neons nonstop. And uh, we should also give a big shout out to Hans Zimmer. Excellent score. First oh, he time he's worked it. with um First time he worked with Ridley Scott. Um, One thing that's really interesting about this movie is that basically as they shot in Japan, things got harder and harder, and they had more and more red tape thrown up at them. Mm-hmm. So basically, so Kate Capshaw's nightclub, all the interiors and the entire final sequence are all shot in the US. Oh, wow. The nightclub was at the Paramount lot. Jan DeBont was so happy about that because he's like, we went to a bunch of clubs in Japan and basically picked and chose our favorite elements of style and design, and then we we're able just to build it in, you know, Hollywood. And then, um, for the ending sequence, they did want to go to the Japanese countryside. They had this entire estate planned out. And then um, I've told, that fell apart, got too expensive. And really, Scott, like at the drop of a hat, was like, I know a place in Napa. So this is the final sequence is actually shot in Napa in wine country. Oh, wow. And of course, like it was like pouring rain, I guess. So like gear was sinking in that mud at the end, but it does give like. A cool vibe, a difference to the ending sequence that they're like covered in mud and like really going at it in this fierce kind of way.
1: I like that element of it too. I like the just like the nature and like the fact that like you know Sato has like that pinky wound and like yeah he cuts
0: off his finger for um honor. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's a good. Yeah, no, it's a great visual element. Also, you know, that kind of explains to why uh, uh, at a certain point, you know, Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church, they walked in. You know, on, on, while well, they were motorcycling, they kind of commented in a golf cart, you know, while drinking Merlot. Like, ah. yeah,
0: and Yeah, and Giamatti was like, I would never drive a motorcycle. They seem incredibly unsafe. Yeah, That's it's typical, kind of you know. Typical, and then <laughs> a little from Wings so Thomas Hayden Church. is like, oh, man, you got to live a little. You That's know, a lot I'm of gonna fun. I'm going to sleep with some guy's wife.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it's a nude MC Ganey. Yeah. And they got
0: out of there. Yeah, they got out of there. Yeah. Uh,
1: but they, but you know, they
0: the edit wasn't tough. They kind of they had a pretty good idea what kind of movie this was going to be. This is going to be, you know, a pretty down the line macho late 80s tough guy yeah. intrigue action picture. So, you kind of knew what they had. And I know that everyone he watched the Blu-ray every single Ridley Douglas the producers down the line, they all talked about like the politics of the East and West, the differences between the US and Japan, trying to like tastefully and interestingly portray the culture clash of the movie. And in the Nathan book, he brings it up perhaps Tony Scott's touch would have been better black rain and just kind of an understanding that maybe the highfalutin shit doesn't matter <laughs> yeah just motorcycle chases and shootouts
1: <laughs> yeah it's one of those things where you can either go one way or you can go the other like this movie kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too yeah 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 and, you're, yeah
0: and so the movie came out in the united states september 22nd 1989 the film grossed a total of forty six point two million in the u s and eighty eight in other territories for a nice one hundred and thirty four point two million overall on a thirty million dollar budget, which is inching Ridley's way back into hit territory. It was not a disaster by any means, comparably especially especially comparable to someone to watch over me, legend and of course, Blade Runner mm-hmm. uh, didn't do well critically. How is Black Rain? Fifty-two percent mm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Ridley Scott, when he was on Mark Maron's podcast last year, when he also called said Millennials didn't want to see the Last Duel, <laughs> called this film fucking great. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You got to love your shit. I uh it was nominated for two academy awards. Really? Best sound and best sound effects editing, couple Perfect. sounds. That works, um, that makes sense. Our guy Vincent Camby of the New York Times, you know, he's a grumpy Gus about these kind of yeah, things. He, what did he um, have to what did what did he have to say? Plays as if it was written in the course of the production. Ooh. There seems yeah. to have been more desperation off the screen than ever gets into the movie. As bad movies go, however, the American Black Rain* is easy to sit through, mostly because of the way Mr. Scott and his production associates capture the singular look of contemporary urban Japan. Ebert yeah. gave it two stars out of four. Mm. Even given all of its inconsistencies and plausibilities and recycled cliches, Black Rain might have been entertaining if the filmmakers had found the right note for the material, but this is a designer movie. All look and no heart, and the Douglas character is curiously unsympathetic. Interesting. Damn. Interesting, Ebert. Yeah. But not too far off. Yeah. On the other side of that aisle, though, that other thumb, Cisco. what did he think? The cross-cultural action picture might have worked at the filmmakers to come up with a script in which Douglas's character had been rendered weak and confused by being a fish trying to swim in strange waters, but instead he is presented as a traditional action hero dominating everyone in sight. The cultural imperialism of that decision makes for a routine and freely offensive story full of Asian stereotypes. Siskel, also wanted something.
1: Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um,
0: and finally, what did Michael Douglas think, in retrospect? It's hard to know who to root for. And people here were uncomfortable with race stuff and talking about the bomb. There was a critic, who will remain nameless, who called it a racist film. I called him up and asked, have you ever been to Japan? He said no. And I said, then what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> the Japanese loved it. I loved it. I thought it rocked from top to bottom. <laughs> Oh my god. That really sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the, yeah. That's the stir yeah. That's and that
0: the and at the end of the day as artists, I guess that's it. Ridley lo- Ridley thinks it's awesome, Michael Douglas thinks it's awesome. Um that's that. You know, I think that the, Yeah,
1: you know, that's it. I mean yeah. like yeah, is it like I mean, uh
0: complain if they're satisfied, I mean, it may not be as satisfying as Siskel Ebert can be. Maybe even me and you. <laughs> They're having a good time. But they have, they seem to have a great time. Fun production. They think the movie kicks ass. I think the movie. Interesting thing I think is that, after kind of like testing things out, mm-hmm. this is the first movie since Blade Runner that feels like a Ridley Scott movie. Mm. And in terms of look, and kind of like that, that that, that kind of gorgeous, like calm ultra composed really just a great classy style to it. Yeah. That you know, it certainly is there in Legend and Parts and in and, um, Someone to Watch Over Me but this one has that icy vibe that I think is his thing. Mm-hmm. A little bit more than those ones
1: do. It does feel like a return to form a little bit. Like a it's, little bit. Yeah. It's not, all, it's not all the way there but uh I mean, part of it's just the material he's working with yeah. necessarily isn't all the way I think there. It's,
0: uh, I mean, I think it's just subpar and trashier than his wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's no Duelist. It's no Alien. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's yeah, It's still, like, there's a lot of enjoyable moments, and all the, yeah, all the motorcycle stuff, All the aesthetic stuff, all the the sets, the designs,
0: a lot of the performances.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love. Yeah, a lot of them. Andy Garcia is great. Should
0: be noted too that Kate Capshaw's character is treated with respect, and that she has agency, and that she is living her own life, and she does not just freaking throw herself at Conklin or anything like that. Which is for a 1989, an action movie of this sort, Mm -hmm. um, pretty damn unlikely.
1: Yeah. Also, like the Yusaku Matsuda performances, I'm gonna try to watch more of his films. Like, I really got into, I really liked the Masido and uh, I'm gonna yeah, try to like both, find both
0: of both of our Japanese leads in this film were both terrific mm-hmm. and are worth um, deeper dives on both of their work because they're both um, really engaging actors, and it's a real shame uh, about what happened to Matsudo because. Um, He pops on the screen here and probably could have done some more stuff.
1: Oh, hugely. He probably
0: had a great career ahead of him. And that just is a real dang shame. Mm -hmm. But um, Ridley Scott, you know, gave him kind of a solid double of a movie. And got him back in kind of feeling a little bit of his comfort zone, feeling he's getting his groove back. And uh, his next film, a scant two years later. 1991 he releases Thelma and Louise which of course leads to his first best director nomination Mm. and frankly you know solidifies him as you know one of the one of the big directors
1: yeah he's kind of out of the uh you know because I think like up until Thelma and Louise like he's even with this movie he still is kind of in the is he a is he like a bonafide A-list director was he kind of like a two or three and done yeah like you know this one like people are thinking he's a one and done because Blade Runner still hasn't gotten that like but it's love. actually
0: though around 89, 90, 91 this is when the wheels start churning yeah. as a cult movie and Blade Runner's getting those revival screenings and the people are like you know I think actually this is pretty cool damn movie
1: yeah there's <laughs> you know. some good stuff here like yeah i think yeah i think the the scott is is on the horizon and
0: you know frankly by the late 80s early 90s legend had been released on video and was finding its feet among certainly unicorn fans
1: yeah <laughs> people that are really into uh imagining tim curry is the devil
0: yeah, yeah yeah so you know things Things are going to be fine for this
1: guy. Yeah, he'll be but, okay. He survived. You know,
0: he he hit one. He seems proud of this movie. Um, and overall, you know, I liked it more this time around than I did a couple years ago when mm-hmm. I watched it. I think the real like Conklin is not a pleasant guy. Yeah, and it's a tough character to kind of like. And obviously, like you can go in a lot of ways with that kind of character. I just think that they needed to play him with a little more. The movie needed like really Scott is not like known for a light touch Mm -hmm. and he needs to pull off this character. There needs to be a light touch.
1: I think it, yes. And there needs to be a light touch. And and I think
0: better jokes.
1: Yeah. Or or any jokes. Yeah. Or just like, have him be like either. I just like Michael Douglas to me. It's kind of like how Kevin Costner on a certain level isn't kind of believable as like the. The revenge, like he's not like a he's not the like guy you would first go to to cast as the lead of revenge. Mm-hmm. I feel like Michael Douglas isn't like he's just not like a Kurt Russell type guy or a Harrison Ford type guy. I just well, he's
0: not um he's not a blue collar actor.
1: No, yeah, not at all. He he he, yeah. he plays
0: high status incredibly mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. and um, you know that is what that is. And I, know, I, just, I think yeah. that, that and that you know that's the way it goes. But it's still like it's a worthwhile watch.
1: Yeah, Again, it's, it's we, good. you know
0: it's it's a little long, but it's um totally worthwhile watch.
1: Andy Garcia gets his head
0: chopped off. What's not to love? It's which is crazy. <laughs>
1: that's that's so nuts. Absolutely is, crazy. Oh man, what a what a treat. What a treat.
0: So meanwhile, coming off of nineteen nineties intense crazed. We spent an hour and a half on it. Um, shoot. On Days of Thunder. Mm-hmm. Tony Scott is looking to kind of do something a little bit different. And he is handed a screenplay entitled Get This. Die Hard. Ugh. But not the Die Hard you're thinking about. As you see, Because... Shane Black wrote a screenplay entitled Die Hard that predates the movie Die Hard. That became what is now known as today The Last Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. Tony was absolutely enthralled by this screenplay. He thought it had all sorts of great fun and action elements and and Shane Black's original script, which is apparently... According to Tony Scott and Shane Black, the best script Shane Black has ever written. Wow. Um, But there it it was a sprawling epic that involved snuff films, kidnappings, Uh, all sorts of wild behavior that somehow does not end up in the final product known as The Last Boy Scout. Hmm. But we should start the story off with the tale of Shane Black. Shane Black was kind of the superstar young screenwriter of the late 80s and early 90s. He is a uh, hard-boiled detective fanatic. He has read probably every um, paperback detective book you could possibly imagine. He knows the genre inside and out. He's a UCLA graduate. He graduated alongside uh, people like Chris Matheson, uh, Ed Solomon, who went on to create the Bill & Ted franchise. Mm. Um, and uh, Fred Decker, who tr- who made um, two tremendous pictures, The Monster Squad and um, Night of the Creeps. Oh, wow. Shane Black co-wrote Monster Squad with Fred Decker and Fred Decker returned to co-write Predator, The Predator with Shane Black just a few years ago. Shane Black, though, hits the scene with a script for his, he he did a handful of scripts, got in touch with some agents, and he eventually wrote in six weeks the film Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon sold for 250000 dollars. The producer is Joel Silver, who we will mm-hmm. get to in just a moment. Shane Black's got a cool look, especially as a young man. So Joel Silver, it's meanwhile, it's like hey, I am producing this movie in the jungle called Predator. Do you want to be in it? So yeah. Shane Black is one of the guys, one of Arnold's guys in Predator. Which, once I got it seriously in the movies, re watching Predator, like, oh, I saw my Shane Black? That's the same guy who did Last Boys Sc- and Lethal Weapon? <laughs> yeah, turns out it is. Yeah, he plays Hawkins. And he co helped write Fred Decker do Monster Squad. Uh, Lethal Weapon, Monster Squad, and Predator all come out in 1987. Oh man, and cements him as you know the young, and he's uh 26.
1: Jesus Christ!
0: So he's everywhere. (laughs) He is absolutely everywhere. Boogie nights Uh, all over again. Yes, he is the hottest writer in town. Everybody wants a piece of what he's got going on next. They sign him to a massive deal to do Lethal Weapon two. He wrote a script of Lethal Weapon 2 that was as dark and violent as possible, and he kills the Mel Gibson character at the (sighs) end of it. Man, we were robbed. Needless to say, the producers were a little concerned with that, and so he walked away from the movie and takes a story by credit and didn't write for two years. Oh, man. He he also went through a massive breakup. Mm -hmm. So his depression, reading detective novels... His career, uh, existentialism, and losing up romantic partner, all gets filtered in to his next work.
1: Oh yeah, now the that
0: last Boy Scout, which you... begins to make a bit more sense about the. Oh uh, man,
1: you can feed... now I understand the dour tone of the the aforementioned film. And and uh, uh, Lethal Weapon Two,
0: apparently his script has never been released. Everyone wants to read his original version of it that this dark and nasty one that he claims is one of his best pieces of writing. I want to read it. Who am I kidding? Because I don't know if you've ever read a Shane Black script. And if you haven't, you should. They are the funnest screenplays you could read because he plays with the form in a very funny way.
1: He has a rhythm. For
0: for example, here is a description of a home in the original Lethal Weapon script exterior, posh Beverly Hills home, Twilight, the kind of house that I'll buy if this movie is a huge hit, chrome, (laughs) glass, carved wood, plus an outdoor solarium, a glass structure like a greenhouse, only there's a big swimming pool inside, this is a really great place to have sex. Uh. Okay, so if you're reading that, if you're reading that, you're at the blacklist, you're reading that, you're like, what's this guy's deal? (laughs) This is exciting stuff. And then from The Last Boy Scout, Here's, a, here's another description. Remember Jimmy's friend Henry, who we met briefly near the opening of the film? Of course you do. You're a highly paid reader or development person. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so he his entire his balancing act is that he believes William Goldman, his mentor, which is cool, and Walter Hill kind of are like the best action writers mm. and terse Spartan punchy pros. When I first started writing, I, like, and I remain to this day a fan, but, like, Shane Black Scripts, I really felt highly about, we'll <laughs> put it that right. way. And I wasn't alone, because when he finally presented the last Boy Scout, under the name of Die Hard, of all things, to the studio, there was a massive bidding war. Mm resulting in in 1991 him selling the spec script for the last boy scout and this deal caused hundreds if not thousands of young men who thought they could write screenplays to move to hollywood in 1991 he received 1.75 million for this screenplay
1: wow yeah so
0: he's a superstar Mm mm-hmm ever wants to make it. It sells to the David Geffen Company via Warner Brothers. Tony Scott thinks it's awesome. He wants in. Joel Silver is already in the mix as the producer. Now, Joel Silver is a super, super producer this side of Don Simpson. And yeah. they, of course, had major run-ins. About uh, a few years younger, um, he started off with the Lawrence Gordon Company uh, Productions Who's also kind of circles this realm, and he produced multiple Walter Hill films, The Warriors, 48 Hours, Straits of Fire, Brewster's Millions, before moving into movies like Commando, Predator, the Lethal Weapon franchise, Die Hard franchise, and even The Matrix films. Wow. Massive next-level success, also known as a complete lunatic. A screamer, possible drugs, you know thrower of items and staplers and yeah (laughs) you name it Um, may
1: may or may not be the inspiration for Tom Cruise's character in Tropic Thunder may or may not be the inspiration for the producer character in True
0: Romance which we'll cover (laughs) in shortly here
1: um
0: like and also though an interesting guy because he's been a absolutely in the corner of Shane Black and absolutely like been in the corner of Robert Downey Jr throughout their entire like ups and downs travails of their wow. career um he produced the nice guys recently for shane black all the way to that he did kiss kiss bang bang with both of them
1: um he did the sherlock holmes movies too yes
0: yes he did yeah so i mean he and he's obviously i think he's had real ups and downs i think he's kind of like outside like in the same vein as bruckheimer he's like totally loaded but he's and he's got all these franchises and stuff but he's kind of on the periphery mm-hmm. because his style is also frankly a little passé. Yeah,
1: like by today's Na- standards. Na- nice Guys is a great movie, but in it, it, but it, it's also kind of sad by like by the time Nice Guys came out, it almost didn't feel like a, a bit of a relic of a past that's kind mm-hmm. of moved beyond despite it. Despite the
0: fact that like I mean Nice Guys is literally built For multiple, like, because of his detective novel background, Mm -hmm. Shane Black wrote two brand new detective novel characters for the Nice Guys. And there could have, there should have been, there should be three Nice Guys movies by now of these two guys doing cases and stuff like that. And I mean, this gets to it because, like, when Shane Black returned with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang into um, getting Iron Man 3, which is crazy. He mm-hmm. did Iron Man 3 and then Nice Guys and the Predators. Like, longtime fans were so excited to see him come back because, you know, basically after the movie we're talking about today, he got a massive payday for uh, rewrites on Last Action Hero, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Mm-hmm. And then he's uh, the next film that he did was uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight with Samuel Jackson and Gina Davis, mm. which got him another. Um, boy, what was the payday on that? I think um, like four million dollars. Four million dollars. Yeah, nuts. yeah, ninety four. And then he kind of disappeared. Yeah. Until the two thousands, and I don't know what he was up to. I don't know what is what was happening in his life or whatever. But I, you know, when he did come back, it was kind of a cause of celebration for eighties and nineties kids who grew up with like his like, just banger stories.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what is what goes into a Shane Black screenplay? This is an interesting. He's got so many running things. Mm -hmm. Generally, always a buddy movie. Almost like Lethal Weapon, Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Act, Last Boy Scout, Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All buddy movies. His most successful ones. They all take place at Christmas, for the most part. (laughs) Um, The Christmas references are expunged from Last Boy Scout, but they are in the original screenplay. Um,
1: We get like one. We get one Christmas
0: reference. He plays around with basically a he a guy who the lead character is generally someone who was did something very very heroic once and now has fallen on really hard times, mm-hmm. which is of course our man in today's movie, uh, Bruce Willis's character, um, former Secret Service agent, saves the president's life and now is sleeping in his car and his wife is banging Bruce McGill.
1: People are throwing dead squirrels at him. <laughs> yeah, and like in
0: this kind of rat-a-tat dialogue. Cynic, hard-boiled cynicism, dangerous characters.
1: Yeah, but, that's the thing like, of what I love about his movie is like his movies are filled with weird guys. Yeah, he populates his movie with interesting, and that's Every, like
0: everyone is well-written. Every yes. character's got a cool thing about them.
1: Like even the mooks are fun in this movie. Yeah, like all of all them. the
0: mooks are ter- all the 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 goons are terrific in this movie. What a
1: great goon movie! So we've
0: we've talked it up quite a bit here. We we I'm a huge fan. I got nothing bad to say about his work. I think mm-hmm. um you know and I think the other thing too is I remember at the time everyone's was like, man, they're why are they giving these screenwriters all this money? Well, he's coming up with cool stuff. People like it. Yeah. I mean, and I think the there there the are ebbs and flows and I think he'll probably before his time is done, he's mm-hmm. going to get another run at it. Oh, I know that sure. the, the predator did not do well. There was some behind-the-scenes controversy on that one too. Ah. Um, so I guess he has a long-term friend who um, child endangerment was actually arrested for child stuff.
1: Oh god!
0: And um, but Black remained loyal to them as a friend and yeah. gave them like like uncredited but paid gigs. In Ooh. his movies as an actor, he, they're in apparently Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Nice Guys, but um, it got kind of figured out in The Predator, mm-hmm. and they got there was some controversy there, and the person <laughs> yeah. was ex, person was excised from the final cut of Predator, but oh, I was a, about this. yeah, it's kind of a black mark on the entire. Yeah, um,
1: that's yeah, that'll do it.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he's got a lot of stuff in the works.
1: Oh, we'll for see, sure, we'll,
0: we'll see what happens. But back to the early '90s, he's got a hot script. We've Tony; it's in the hands of Tony Scott. Joel Silver's producing it. Joel Silver's like, guess what, man? Guess who I'm good friends with? Freaking Bruce Willis. Mm. I did the Die Hard movies. I just produced Bruce's passion project, the comedy action heist picture Hudson Hawk it's coming <laughs> next summer it's going to be huge so all this is coming together and it's like we got a freaking sure thing here mm-hmm. Shane Black's original script is about a guy who's down on his luck who has to save his wife from endangerment mm-hmm. Bruce reads it and he goes man I just did that diehard 1 wanted 2 I don't want to do that again <laughs> so they start rewriting it Then, meanwhile, they want to cast Mark Helgenberger as Bruce's estranged wife. Bruce doesn't like her. He wants Chelsea Field to play the role. God only knows why. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. But Bruce is, like, feeling himself. He's a big star right now. So he's, like, throwing his weight around a bit. But... As we've seen with Tony Scott, like, man, I'm just going to get my shit. I'm going to make this happen. We're going to go. Yeah, It's it's all good. So they, they need in, in addition to Bruce, it's a buddy picture. He needs his, the, They need the co-lead to play the um, disgraced football player, Jimmy Dix. They go to the hottest comedy star on television. Because in living color is at its peak right now. Mm. Damon Waynes. To play the role, Damon Wayans had done a handful of things. He's in Beverly Hills Cop, if you might recall.
1: Um, oh yeah, banana. He's the banana yeah, guy. Yeah,
0: he's the banana guy. Yeah, and he is cast as he is brought into the film, and immediately he and Bruce are in competition and don't like each other. <laughs> um, huh. and it's a you know it's a battle all the way through, and basically what everyone has chalked this up to is. This is a dude movie. There were a lot of powerful dudes Mm -hmm. doing things at the same time. Bruce Willis never worked with Joel Silver again.
1: Oh, my God.
0: They were constantly having Shane Black rewrite the script. Tony Scott shot on multiple cameras thousands of feet of film. Just a crazy amount to capture all the action and make it all happen. Um, Shane Black is doing rewrites all the way through. And basically, the studio is saying to themselves, oh, do we have a fiasco? (laughs) All (laughs) Now, to backtrack, what is this movie about? The movie, essentially, is about Joe Hallenbeck, played by Bruce Willis, who is a private investigator, mm-hmm. um, former disgraced Secret Service agent who was a national hero for saving the life of the president once, but has just kind of fallen into ill repute and bad times and depression yeah,
1: he, he 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 reminds me of uh he's a sad sack oh yeah he reminds me of smithers in uh, who shot mr burns when he like wakes up and burps cigarettes <laughs> like that's kind of like the energy he gives up when you initially meet him like he will burp a cigarette out on you or a cigarette yes. bud. <laughs> um
0: the movie opens though we should say in a fan-esque football game a hellacious football game, perhaps oh, the worst football game ever, where Billy Blanks of Tybo fame plays Billy Cole. Oh, man. And um, he it's clear he's got a lot on his mind. There's a lot of pressure. He's the star of the team. He gets the ball. He's going down the field. He's about to get tackled. And he um pulls out a gun and just starts blowing away his opponents <laughs> right there on the field in the rain against the rules um yeah against that they they were throwing penalty flags all over the place now if he had
1: brought out a dog
0: not in the rule book that'd be fine pops around him he puts the gun to his head says ain't life a bitch (laughs) and shoots himself in the head and then we that's the cold open of the movie we're like what kind of movie are we watching this is going to be Bananas.
1: It's so bananas because it's so it's so visceral. Like you see him get shot. You see yeah, the blood. It's come so out.
0: violent. And yeah. So like everything in this movie is at a ten. Yeah. They are not fucking around in this movie at all. This is a hard R. Let's do this thing. So it's a. Ain't life a bitch? Is that where we yeah where we left off? Oh,
1: life's a life's a bitch. A dinosaur yeah. story.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, Remember that? Remember that? Maybe we're back in yeah. dinosaur story. Yeah. Oh man.
0: Ki- ki- kids? kids, your new kids film. Life's a bitch. <laughs> life's a
2: bitch. <laughs> dinosaur story. <laughs> I heard um,
0: Guillermo del Toro tell this story about the making Nightmare Alley that. um There's this scene where Richard Jenkins gives Bradley Cooper a lie detector test. I don't know if you remember that part. Yeah. Oh, I love that part. Um, Yeah. yeah, Great scene. Um, Great scene. So they were in the middle of shooting that scene. They had done one of their sides. I'm not sure if it was Cooper or Richard Jenkins' side. And then somebody ran in to the set and goes, there's a global pandemic. We have to shut down now. Nine months (laughs) later, they shot the other side. Oh Good so I'm comparing kind of this moment in our podcast to that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we to, behind the podcast door, folks we had to take a brief three or four day breather yes. from from where we left off on the show and now we're back at it. So um, we're talking the last Boy Scout mm-hmm. a movie that eh, three or four days later I'm it's still ringing true in my heart.
1: Oh, yeah. yours. <laughs> oh, in my heart, it's like, yeah, it, the, the the radiation emanating from that film is still making my brain glow, for sure.
0: So, basically, after this amazing apocalyptic feeling, cold open, the worst football game,
1: what
0: <laughs> yeah. would happen in real life if that, I think football would be like, I think that there'd be a huge, between the owners and, like, the media a huge battle about whether to continue football that season Ooh, they're because they i think that they would be so pissed that they'd be losing money
1: i think they would keep going they, i think
0: they I think keep... take a week off i think they would take one week off
1: mm-hmm. you know it's so funny i feel like that might be the one thing that'd be like comparable to a 9-11 still like if like because I, like, I feel like there's like that would shock people. If people that
0: would truly shock yeah, people Yeah, that
1: that would be genuinely if like uh God, I'm like such a fucking nerd. I wish I knew more about sports if like because i think all the all the all the all the football players i'm grasping for in my head i'm pretty sure are retired mm-hmm. uh if drew bees or uh
0: two bees he's a man, he's no. A man. <laughs> no no drew breeze drew, drew, Brees.
1: drew yeah. god damn it <laughs> drew, drew breeze i was like it can't be two R's. it can't be two draw brah it has to be drew bees uh <laughs> if drew breeze like you know like ran down to the whatever and like shot himself like that'd be crazy. Yeah. That would be that'd that be would nuts. be a,
0: yeah. I mean, the closest thing I can think of was when they had that brawl in the NBA about a decade ago. Oh, they went in the crowd and started attacking people like the fans. That's the one with the Ron players. Artest. Yeah, the one with Ron Artest. AKA, yeah. Meta World Peace. Yeah, so, hell yeah. I'm a great man.
1: <laughs> he rolls yeah. Yeah. He was him on the Rockets. He he was in his pre-meta days.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's. Yeah, he, he's awesome. He's an amazing guy.
1: <laughs> I, dude, he how has he not had a uh like a fun uh like side career, like a Dennis Rodman-esque like, you know, why hasn't he in movies with Dolph Lundgren? Yeah. Like get
0: Yeah, why didn't he why wasn't he in like
1: yeah, why why didn't he like do a double team type film? Anyway, yeah, moving
0: on. Moving <laughs> along. Um our next <laughs> sequence in the film, we get introduced to Roy, or is it Roy? Mm. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Joe. Joe Hallenbach. <laughs> uh, played by Bruce Willis. Uh, an amazing sequence where we get introduced to him where he's just sleeping one off in his car and these local scamps are trying to like, I think they're like... <laughs> they're just messing with him completely and he's just such a, like, he doesn't even pay attention. He's just, obviously it's such a great intro because you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly who this guy is and kind of where he is, what his state of life is right now.
1: Yeah, like, and, yeah, he's the world's unhappiest man.
0: Yeah, and they even drop, like, a dead rat on, or dead squirrel on him, it's and
1: he does like the get that squirrel?
0: Doesn't really blink. And, um, he he's we, we discover he's a former Secret Service Agent, hero, mm-hmm. Secret Service Agent who because um he made an enemy out of a um senator, Calvin Baynard played by um Cecily Ross from um Major League.
1: Oh, he's so good as a sleazy mm-hmm. slime ball senator.
0: What a great actor. Mm-hmm. And he walked in on him being real bad. To a woman and bruce was having none of it because bruce this is like the thing about joe is that he is a totally um he does not want to be a hero but it's in his bones patrick mm. it's in this man's bones that he's actually a good guy
1: he knows good guy he knows right <laughs> from wrong he
0: knows sort of
1: kind, yeah it's kind it's of like, he's like, he's like yeah. three quarters of the way there
0: and you know how he disarms bad guys? Freaking jokes.
1: Mm. Like, yeah goofs like yeah. your yo mama jokes and stuff. <laughs> i love that a great scene what a dumb i love that it's so dumb i love it but
0: um he he's estranged from his wife his daughter who's played by danielle harris from the halloween movies um is a loud mouth foul mouth psycho and it's really <laughs> terrific stuff.
1: It's just uh, <laughs> it's such a good... She's like the antithesis of the perfect child, the esque child in a way that's super refreshing. Like, And it, it
0: goes to show Shane Black's, like, bitterness in this moment in his life, that even down to the child, everyone is angry and, like, upset bitter themselves in this
1: <laughs> movie. <laughs> just, yeah, this is not a good world. Everyone is sad.
0: Everyone, everyone is like really on the edge in this movie either heading toward substance abuse or just pure violence mm-hmm. is kind of everyone's mo uh he's going at it with his wife and then um he gets a phone call from his buddy in quotes form uh best friend and uh, business partner in the pi game mike matthews played by academy academy legend bruce mcgill oh, man, returns yeah. to the show uh he's always just like, a welcome guy
1: And my it's kind of like for me this is like a jackie brown scenario where like how like robert forrester's character in alligator retires and and you know starts his little like company mm-hmm. in la i think uh this is uh this is bruce mcgill's character in wildcats who got <laughs> expelled <laughs> He got kicked out of the school the for longer, probably doing something lewd and crude. Yeah, no um, longer tolerated. The so
0: Bruce Willis he gets gets put on a case to keep an eye on an exotic dancer mm-hmm. with, but he doesn't get a lot of details on why he's doing it or who she is or um, what the deal. Why she would need mm-hmm. any level of protection. But this is, of course, Corey, who's played by a very young Halle Berry, who wow, does pop yeah. like star quality. She Already is there. very good in her now, like
1: few moments. On doesn't the screen. get a lot of
0: scenes. And Bruce goes to a strip club to um, kind of keep an eye on her. And he gets into it with Jimmy Dix, disgraced quarterback, Jimmy Dix, played by Damon Wayans. Yes. Who is also dating Corey the meanwhile Bruce discovers that Bruce McGill is sleeping with his wife oh on the no. side. and it is very funny to cast a guy like Bruce McGill as the guy who's cucking you when you're Bruce Willis oh my god it like is really 1990 Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah it's like it's like it shows like how how things have dipped for him it's the same vein as like in heat when xander berkeley gets cast as ralph
1: oh my the, god it has one bro <laughs> oh
0: <laughs> you for can't sure. watch my fucking television <laughs> it's
1: it's like straight up finding that like paul blurt is like having an affair with your wife it's incredible yeah.
0: or like yeah or like giamatti is the winner in this scenario yeah like (laughs) (laughs) like chris hemsworth walks in and giamatti sitting on his couch watching his tv with his wife
1: it's paul giamatti from the illusionist he has his little hat yeah (laughs) but
0: um and you know it's just joe takes it in just like depressive stride almost that
1: this is happening yeah but then
0: bruce mcgill takes a stroll outside gets in his car and that car blows the hell up
1: what is going on i didn't see it coming initially I'm i know. Not gonna lie. i was
0: sad he was gone but yeah it was it's a real like it, it you pop out of your chair
1: yeah it's a good moment
0: and then at the strip club bad guys arrive they disarm joe gets taken away they're gonna execute him but then he um he weasels his way out via comedy
1: yeah <laughs> Um, it's a real Bugs Bunny type character like yeah, a real, yeah. and, and
0: and this is why this is also why you deal with Bruce Willis Bruce Willis is the greatest actor of his era to be able to pull off scenes like this mm-hmm. like he does have that like ain't I a stinker quality to his performance
1: oh it's in his DNA
0: yeah and no one does it like him like and that's what makes him special
1: he's like somehow he's able to be like simultaneously alpha and beta like he he's like one of the few people maybe it's because he has the receding hairline maybe it's because like he always has like a chip the, on his shoulder he's not
0: like the buffest guy in the world like he's not jacked like stallone or schwarzenegger or something like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: like and he like they the way they dress in this movie is hilarious he's like wearing baggy khakis the entire time and stuff oh, yeah like that.
1: it's pretty good it's pretty but like a 90s sitcom style made into uh, an close. action
0: sequence the bad guys assassinate Halle Berry mm. and pretty brutally yeah but then Bruce is running down the street and another thing that Bruce does really well he looks really really cool running with two guns firing yes them at people
1: <laughs> two guns better than one
0: yeah, and so a couple of moments in this movie we get slow motion Bruce blasting away with two gu- two handguns and he does he does look very badass while he's doing it. And um but this throws him and Jimmy who is also on the scene into a world of intrigue and twists and in very typical Shane Black fashion because he loves like the Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett's of the world it gets convoluted pretty fast as to what exactly is going on in this movie
1: something about like you know uh football
0: i've seen the nice guys like five times i still could not tell you what the hell that they're investigating by the third act of that movie (laughs) but i also know i really enjoy hanging out with the two of them so i don't really care
1: Yeah, that's not it's the journey. It's not the it's not the gold at the end of the tunnel. Well,
0: it's like that. um, So there's this famous story about the movie, The Big Sleep, you know, based on the um, I believe it was uh, Raymond Chandler novel. Yeah. So, okay, the screenplays by William Faulkner, Lee Bracken, Jules Firthman, all like obviously Faulkner, one of the greatest novelists in American history and the other two, two of the top screenwriters of their era. They get to this part in the adaptation, and they're like, "Wait a second! How did they get? How did this person who killed them?" Oh no! And they called Chandler up, and Chandler's like, "I don't know. I never thought about it." (laughs) So, (laughs) and I remember Paul Thomas Anderson sharing this when he made *Inherent Vice*. He's like, "That's like the glory of these kind of movies. It doesn't really matter." Yeah. And they're and like even like. You know the greatest example, modern era example, is *The Big Lebowski*. The entire investigation that they go on in *The Big Lebowski* is utterly meaningless, and the only oh. real consequence at all is that poor Steve Buscemi has a heart attack <laughs>
1: drained,
0: and dies. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, nothing really changes for anyone involved, <laughs> and, <laughs> and no, no, and there, yeah, there's no real money ever changes hands and um
1: <laughs> yeah whatever the, the usually whatever horrible or orga- uh, shady organization is trying to get away with some big scheme they probably get re- get away with it or they don't it doesn't matter yeah and it's just about like and i think this
0: is you know to add another piece of pop culture another reason why true detective season two was rejected so heavily was because the four characters we were brought along on this meaningless nihilistic journey were not fun hangs oh yeah and they were kind of dour like and last boy scout could have gone in that direction but they decide to like have them bicker have them tell jokes and give them a shred of like oh these these guys could possibly be like adventures could await these guys that are actually much more fun than this adventure yeah like, that's one thing about Shane Black's scripts, another one of his great tropes. I mean, okay, so Lethal Weapon is Riggs and Murtaugh. Mm-hmm. Last Boy Scout is Waynes and Willis. Long Kiss Goodnight is Davis and Samuel and Jackson. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is Downey and Kilmer. And Nice Guys is Crow and Gosling. His ability to create, like, these unlikely buddies who then are, like, mm-hmm. best friends. By the time things are over, because they they are like they're so different, but they work well together, and like the antics have ensued, and it's like, hey man, we should do this again, maybe, despite the fact we drove each other nuts.
1: Yeah, like he's good at like crafting uh weird juxtapositions. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and everyone has like a thing, like in in everything, you know, there there is no wasted character in any of his projects. So to get back to Last Boy Scout. They go into this journey that involves evil football owner Sheldon Shelley Marcone, played by Noble Willingham, who does a very nice job in the movie. I enjoyed his work. Like um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I gotta say, MVP at the pic here, in my opinion, is his number one goon and henchman, Ooh. the unlikely Taylor Negron as Milo. Oh, um, yeah, freak show like plays him as a total psycho freak and he pops he utterly pops off the- what is that line like <laughs> when he shoots that guy in the head at the to- at the beginning like the first time we meet him
1: oh my god it's like uh. some sort
0: of like snarky ass like We've- we're gonna leave a bullet behind or something like that <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's um, it is so he's he's scary He's very scary and he's a legitimate, he feels like, like, despite the fact that he's not the actor you would, you know, he's a, um, East Coast arty comedian. Yes. And, um, you know, and probably most known for like, he was, he was in like all like the Amy Hackerling movies.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. I know Um, he's in nothing but trouble.
0: Yeah. And he did a lot of, um. You know, you'll see him a lot of comedies. I mean, like just looking, you know, he's in Fast Times Ridgemont High. He's in Easy Money. He's in Better Off Dead. He's in One Crazy Summer. Um, right. Yeah, Nothing But Trouble.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a comedy.
0: He's he's in <laughs> Biodome. I mean, yeah, you know, he did Angels a lot. In the outfield. Yeah, yeah. Did a lot of stuff like that. And um, he unfortunately passed away in 2008. Uh, uh. Relatively young of liver cancer, 57.
1: Mike he is okay I just want to say this really quickly he is in a movie that I want to watch one day it looks so bad in the in the YouTube trailer for it is so cursed look it's like it's called three days to Vegas this is a a proto last Vegas starring Mm. Peter Falk, Rip Torn, George Siegel, and Bill Cobb's well I love all of them oh my gosh and Coolio's in it (laughs) <laughs> Coolio. It's like I wanna it's gonna be bad, but I want to see this movie. Oh
0: uh, Ozzy Davis was supposed to be in it and he died during production. So he got <laughs> cast by uh, he got replaced by Bill Cobbs. Yeah, it has a Las Vegas quality to it.
1: It's yeah, no, this is no, this is the Las Vegas before this this crawled so Las Vegas could run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank it- you, to Las Vegas. But he, he's on. he's absolutely terrific and scary and a, a true threat. I also thought um, Kim Coates, who played Chet, in his Ooh. one scene at the at, in front of the pool where he's giving Bruce Willis shit till Bruce Willis like jams him up and like breaks his nose and kills him,
1: which is <laughs> insane. I kind of love well,
0: it. The, the violence in this movie is extraordinary in how intense and graphic it
1: is. Well, and like what's cool too is that like yeah like by the time we get to the 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 nose punching scene mm-hmm. like that is insane but you can almost believe it because they've they've over time they've coaxed out the secret service out of willis's character mm-hmm. they've been able to escalate him to that point like he is like well,
0: he's like his skills have diminished but like we've seen him run with two guns we've seen him in like hand-to-hand combat like he knows how to do things. He's like yeah. a very capable guy, which is another great hero trait. It's like you hide their capability just, just slightly under the surface. So it's like, wait a second, he can take care of business
1: for sure. Um, I also want to shout out the uh, other, um, another goon, uh, Jack Keller's goon. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's so good. The one with like, um, was it Wade? Is that his friend or whatever? Like the big guy. He's like the small yeah. guy that like has a big guy he commands to punch Bruce Willis over and, and over he's, again. Um,
0: he's the landlord in the Big Lebowski. Bringing it back.
1: So, <laughs> my favorite line of the entire movie.
0: Dude, tomorrow's already the 10th. Far out. And then they just like let it linger. <laughs> <So he's laughs> to tell, like, it takes the dude like, 10 seconds to figure out like, oh, he's talking about rent. <laughs> like, he just, like, I just thought he was say like, tomorrow's the 10th. Cool, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the simplicity of that but yeah he does the dance near the in and out burger um mm-hmm. should also note uh first film role as one of the goons james gandolfini whoa yeah was one of the good one of uh mark goons
1: oh that's awesome what a He's great
0: goon movie full head of hair i ain't tony scott movie tony scott knows his way around goons without yeah. a doubt
1: i think that's like the key to like at least movies i like is you have to have a lot of weird guys i think like weird guy yeah. theory is uh just weird and like you know weird anyone like you know any type of you know guy lady whatever but like you just have to have a, like a quirky cast of characters that's gonna make your movie it, richer
0: there's nobody wasted everybody has like a moment yeah in this movie and it's really terrific because of that And I mean, the action just doesn't stop from here. Cars are flying into swimming pools, gunfights everywhere. It's so crazy. Until like we get to the climax, we discover that they're going to kill the senator for because of illegal football gambling. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. The owner of the football team wants gambling to be legalized because nobody... Because America is so bitter, and has no faith even in football yeah. anymore. <laughs>
1: We've lost yeah. and even We've it's... lost
0: football. So <laughs> nothing Milo, is sacred. He's gonna have Milo with a sniper rifle take out the senator at the football game. So our guys, D- Damon and Bruce, show up there. They oh, oh, there's uh, there's also one suitcase with like a zillion dollars in it. Mm-hmm. another suitcase with like a neutron bomb in
1: it. it's like the fucking kiss me deadly suitcase
0: yeah yeah and, uh, is there a mix-up yo you better believe it which one is which i don't know i'm confused uh-huh. they got this they bought the same suitcase they must have got them in bulk at costco or something
1: <laughs> they sound like a deal at uh i don't know macy's yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly so they get to the game and they have to like they have to stop this assassination from going down. One of the nice screenplay touches is that Black, um, they have to stop the assassination of a man Bruce Willis hates Mm -hmm. for the greater good, which is good stuff. Yes. The guy knows he hates him, and he hates Bruce Willis back. So Mm -hmm. it's all, um, yeah, a lot of hate in this movie.
1: I actually kind of commend that they never, like, um, have a scene where, like, they go back and like get revenge on that shitty uh, senator or something like that. Like, not that like that wouldn't be bad.
0: Doesn't he but, like, touch uh, him out? Yeah, he's head or gut at the end of the movie.
1: It is head or gut, but he doesn't like. You know, he's gonna walk away fine. Like yeah. the the big evil still like you know still so exists. Yeah, yeah.
0: and there's something, yeah. In, there's
1: something interesting about like like this is just a truly cynical world in a way that yeah. major films.
0: don't Don't, do anymore at all yeah Yeah. it's
1: it's almost like weirdly it's cool that he punches him like that's great and would it be cool if like uh he also blew up in a neutron suitcase sure but But also like
0: bruce and his wife like tear each other he he tears her verbally apart when they reunite then they watch that house explode in the hollywood hills like literally like gut the hollywood hills yeah like they all kind of like they all kind of like laugh it off <laughs> Hollywood am I right oh that was funny I can't believe yeah. a dumbass opened that case Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? well and then like the movie is also like the big win for Bruce Willis's character is he's able to like you know scream at his daughter to get respect from her like <laughs> he can rule by fear like <laughs> I know his daughter and his wife still hate his guts it's like <laughs> it's... It's not a happy it's not a happy got, ending He's got a friend,
0: and Jimmy Dix is gonna move from being a quarter like a world famous quarterback to being a shitty private investigator.
1: yeah, not that great a person who was like uh, was uh, out uh, maneuvered by Bruce Willis's daughter,
0: yeah, we should yeah. know it too. like so at the end of the movie, they have to do it. Jimmy Dix storms yes. the football field, steals a police horse, Rides the horse down the field with a football in hand that he steals from the game ball. He steals the game ball, launches the football probably 60 yards, would you say? Or if not more? More probably. Or up to the, the, the box the center is in to block the bullet that's being fired from the rafters of the stadium by Milo.
1: It's and like, it works it's uh, well they, they they do like a little like set dressing they have like that one moment where they're um in the very beginning of the movie where you're introduced to dicks at like a a pool party
0: he's he's good at he's good at football we he's know good that. at
1: football they, they establish that like he's good at aiming he's a great aimer because he hits a guy in the nose who's being a jerk to a lady it's in a jacuzzi being a
0: real jerk like an evil man like <laughs> like a yeah. like. A tr- like he's but that's like, this move that is the world that everyone lives in in this movie is everyone is depraved in this movie yeah
1: he's like that is crazy that like yeah he prevents a murder in the beginning of the movie yeah. Oh
0: that God. he kind of just shrugs his shoulder at because he's so downtrodden by the universe. <laughs> like, the
1: world is so fucked. The yeah, world is so like, cosmically evil. Yeah. To the core. Like, like negative is like the set the beginning level. But uh yeah, he like throws that football, it hits blocks the it. yeah, blocks it. It's just yeah, it's like out of dragon balls in here or but something. If you it's thought crazy. That wasn't
0: enough. If you thought that wasn't enough, up in the rafters, Bruce Willis is getting in a fist fight with Milo. Taylor Negron, he fucking tosses Milo (laughs) off the rafters into a helicopter plate. (laughs) There's blood all over the stadium,
1: basically. (laughs) At that point, you have to, like, stop the feed, right?
0: You have to commend them. Like, there is no holding back at all. Like, there is no compromise to this movie
1: whatsoever. It is just, it's just, it's like as raw and mean as a a film, like as a mainstream film can get. I can't think of a movie I've seen, you know, uh, at this like level of like, you know, studio backing. A A
0: blockbuster movie that is this mean spirited.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen. It just no. doesn't happen and it'll never happen again.
0: No, n- never happen.
1: No, never. It's no. never gonna yeah, you're not gonna see like Groot smoking a cigarette and like talking to himself in his car being like and telling his daughter we'll just, to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? little, little rocket raccoon telling his yeah. daughter to fuck off. Hey, fuck off. <laughs>
0: yeah, like or like dad, you reek Groot, you reek of booze. Go fuck
1: yourself. <laughs> hey, I'm Groot fuck off
0: yeah i know I'm
1: but i'm green. not the worst person here either <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm the hero i'm the hero of this movie. <laughs> by way. the noble protagonist in this world yeah and so
0: and then bruce willis promises that he'll do a dance if um they win and he's sta- he got stabbed in the leg he's beat beat to shit again Hey, what does he do on the Jumbotron up in the rafters? Just a little jig. He starts doing a little bit of a dance, and Damon Waynes <laughs> is real happy for him. The, the
1: stadium <laughs> is like, it felt like the stadium was applauding for him. It was such a great... They're like,
0: like, <laughs> there was like you, know, like, you know, we thought we were here for a good football game, but we just saw a dude get mauled by helicopter <laughs> blades on a Jumbotron.
1: More! See that should be the sequel as they find out that like the nfl is trying to stage more elaborate deaths at their games because they get higher ratings
0: (laughs) so um (laughs) during production obviously as we mentioned before there was a lot of issues with everyone involved Mm -hmm. um post-production though Um, Tony Scott shot the shit out of this movie with multiple cameras at all times, and they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands thousands of of hours of footage, which led to three editors on this movie, including Stuart Baird, who, if you are an action movie fan, um, Stuart Baird has been brought in, namely Tango and Cash, he saved, and Demolition Man as well. Uh and I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh he directed our um US Marshals. Yes,
1: well. he did. And yeah. <laughs>
0: the Excellent Action Film Executive Decision. But he, you know, known for editing, he known for editing Lethal Weapon, Tango and Cash, Lethal Weapon 2, Die Hard 2, Last Boy Scout, Demolition Man, Maverick, Executive Decision, and then he went on later Legend of Zorro. And he went on later to um, go back to editing, and he did things all the way through movies like Skyfall. Wow. <laughs> Early recently. And um, to this day, you know, he is like among action movie fans and like people in the know in that area. He is mm-hmm. a silent king and yeah. has saved a lot of these because all of these movies turn out to be ego-driven bloat fests. <laughs> as they
1: you know <laughs> that's a great line i need to remember that uh and put that in the in the in the, uh, in, the yeah. in the description of this episode ego driven uh, bullet fest yeah. yeah for sure and they
0: they just had like test reactions were like Bruce Willis isn't likable this movie's grim yeah unpleasant you know and all three of the editors on this movie are like big time action editors do, mm-hmm. so they like they know what they're doing in this. And then it also does not help that um it got an NC seventeen holy shit as well, because of the violence. And they had to cut that back a bit. Um, the other thing I want to note is that, um oh, and then midway through the production, we should mention the what really kind of <laughs> sunk the attitudes of all involved was Hudson Hawk came out midway through the production
1: oh yeah, this is like Bruce Willis's baby, right? His
0: Passion Project. A movie that young Don Saunderson was definitely excited about
1: when it came out. You had your Hudson Hawk shirt on. You were like, this oh, is going to be the next
0: um, big thing. Uh, catch the Fever. Catch the Excitement. Catch the Hawk. I believe that was the tagline. That
1: doesn't make sense.
0: No, it does not.
1: <laughs> Get so out of here. He and, Danny,
0: he and Danny Aiello play um, ultra-charming... Um, Cat burglars who set all of their like burglaries to um like like Frank Sinatra style Naturally, these guys are like Sinatra guys. I'm just
1: like, my, my, rolling every eye I have right now. You know, you know what that is. And then they get <laughs> yes. caught up in this whole
0: thing about this leonardo da vinci it's crazy like they end up in italy and andy mcdowell's involved and has my favorite line like one of my five favorite lines of all time bruce willis cuts this guy's head off like literally cuts this guy's head off like andy garcia in black rain
1: oh my god he goes goes, i
0: guess you won't be going to that hat convention in july
1: (laughs) which (laughs) it's like implanted in my head as being one of the funniest things when i was a kid (laughs) that's truly maybe hudson hawk is actually good i take (laughs) it back like it's so grim and stupid
2: (laughs) in july
1: (laughs) like last night we were watching the kung fu movie but this guy gets knives to his neck and i yelled out i guess you won't be going to that hat convention in july (laughs) yeah that's so good. <laughs> you can just
0: picture Bruce doing the rewrite. Like, this is good. This is yeah. really good. Comedy.
1: This is money. I am I the next HL Mencken? Maybe. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> it like lowered the spirits of everybody on set when Hudson Hawk utterly bombed. Mm. Like and in real disaster it was a real disaster because for Willis. Cause apparently too, they even did things like they went back in the edit to use early computer effects to give Bruce Willis a better hairline. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Yeah, no, no. Oh no. Oh
1: no. Oh no. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it was just kind of like everybody was, it was not the funnest production in the world. One thing I do want to know too is that Michael Kamen did the score to this movie. Mm-hmm. He also did the score to Die Hard. Oh, and yeah. there are p- score pieces in this movie that are like, feel like lifted. From the Die Hard
1: score. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is just, like, the world's grimmest version of Die Hard. This Mm -hmm. is, like, an alternate... Like, yeah, like, Joe is definitely, like, an alternate reality McLean.
0: And you should know it by the fact that it opens with the Friday Night's a Great Night for Football performed by Bill Medley commercial. That is, like, the, like... They were so ahead of the game in making fun of, like, the Hank Williams Jr. or Carrie Underwood football opening.
1: Commercials, like oh man, no, they crush it. Yeah, that's like that. Though that still feels like weirdly modern somehow, just because it,
0: of... they're yeah, kind of like. And I, I, I think like you know this goes back to any given Sunday too. Like going after football in any commercial like Hollywood property is kind of dangerous business because football will not cooperate and they will do anything to make football not look like the sleazy. Um, blood sport that it yeah. is, <laughs> um, <laughs> because it absolutely one hundred percent is a blood sport.
1: Yeah, you're 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 trading you're trading blood in potentially people's lives for edu- entertainment.
0: Absolutely. Um, so at the box, so Last Boy Scout was finally released on December thirteenth, nineteen ninety one. Another thing that a lot of people are like. <laughs> release this as a fucking Christmas movie. (laughs) Despite the fact that another Shane Black trope is that every one of his movies is a Christmas movie. Mm. Or this is the one that removes most of the Christmas from it but every other one of his major scripts take does take place at christmas.
1: Right. I think like the only thing I remember christmas-wise is Satan Claus. Yeah. And that's yeah. That's less more of an aside thing than an actual yeah. like oh Bruce Willis's
0: daughter draws a picture of Satan Claus for her class and the teachers concerned as they probably should be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's like another like way that this movie feels weirdly mod. I feel like that's this is like the first time we see like that trope in a movie where like the kid like draws something like weirdly. Not only is that's it not like upsetting yeah it's not, not yet for, not, yet not, yet for not, comedic not effect
0: not an official horror movie at least um <laughs> but the movie came out in december um huge expectations due to the star power and the record-setting price for the screenplay by shane black um it went on to gross 59.5 million in the u.s 55 million uh internationally for a total of about 115 mm-hmm. um it somewhat underperformed but it was not the disaster that Hudson Hawk was so no one paid as close attention and by all accounts it was like a utterly massive success it, when it hit home video mm. everyone literally everyone rented it uh including me that was where I saw it I did not see it theatrically originally um I would love to I'd love to see New Beverly put this put this out um for a revival screening. I wouldn't be surprised someday if they did. Um, but yeah, massive movie on the market. We, As I mentioned before, we rented it. The Saunderson household, this did not become a favorite mm. in the Saunderson household in vein that I've mentioned some other movies have. And I do think it's because it is because of the mean spirit of the entire operation. It, my, my father did not fall in love with it in the same way that he has many other movies.
1: Yeah, it's a hard movie to, like... Uh, I can see it being difficult to root for Bruce Willis in this film. It's a, tough, yeah. it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell.
0: Joe is no cold trickle. We'll just put it that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have the joie de vivre of a cold trickle.
0: Yeah, he... Or a maverick. Or um, a Jeffrey Lebowski. You
1: yeah. Know? <laughs> God, yeah. Jeffrey Lebowski is, like, a, a happy, happy, mm. put-together individual compared to this lad.
0: Exactly. Um Nominated for two MTV Movie Awards. Oh. You can believe it. Best Action Sequence. You better believe it when they drop Taylor Negron on that helicopter plate.
1: <laughs> yes! Oh, man. And, that uh,
0: should... Best on-screen duo. Bruce Willis and Damon Waynes.
1: Yeah, i take it.
0: Nominated. They didn't win. The um, movie has a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, Last Boy Scout is as explosive, silly, and fun as it does represent the decline of the buddy cop genre. Um interestingly enough even we made this mistake neither of them are cops.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess they're buddies sort of.
0: <laughs> so Roger Ebert as usual he uh, he's got a pretty good I'd say he's hitting like a 90% whenever we read a excerpt from one of his reviews here and kind of kind of being pretty spot on in reading mm-hmm. these movies. He gave it 3 stars. Ah. And he said Superb example of what it is. A glossy, skillful, cynical, smart, utterly corrupt, and vilely <laughs> misogynistic action thriller.
2: Yeah, that's, it, it that's, is, it, that's true. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a prime yeah. example of all of those things.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a, yeah, it is a mean, mean, mean movie.
0: Owen Gleiberman said, praised it as a cheerfully disreputable buddy thrower that also happens to be one of the most entertaining movies of the season um scott has made a buddy movie that gives the actors room to stretch out um in a highly critical review desson howe of the washington post called it the film equivalent of a hate crime
1: (laughs) Uh, i mean you know this anti-civilization
0: formula for boys who can't get enough
1: oh my god i you know i get a little bit of that i get a little bit like you know i don't know
0: so in the book we've been reading about tony scott it's which is a really um i i have to say we're about halfway through and i really recommend it larry taylor's filmmaker on fire tony scott book i think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of neat tidbits and um background um yeah, he basically sees it as kind of um like, that Tony Scott will occasionally dip into this pond of truly grim, the world is terrible, like, almost apocalyptic cynicism.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would argue, and I'm excited to go back to take a look at it after this, that the fan hits that place mm. as well. Um, and that we basically live in this very, like, macho, insane, selfish violent world and how do we find our little like island or peace within that
1: god you're making it sound like the comedic version of blood meridian Dan. yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) and it's just like yeah like the world is inherently like evil this is this is america was a a world built on sin how do you find any form of protection or safety and our, our our greatest hobby
0: in america professional sports is just a place of like sheer possible violence of the worst levels
1: it's it's a way yeah it's a way we like take our worst impulses and and uh focus them into something that isn't entirely misanthropic
0: yeah and like (laughs) the weirdness of fandom the weirdness of kind of how we spend our time and just kind of the yeah and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where things go, in the Tony side of this um, conversation, with that. I, and because this is like this between this and um, this and Revenge. These are not like utterly upbeat. Although this movie's far funnier than Revenge, oh, intentionally yeah. funnier than Revenge. Yeah, but I loved it. I thought it was great. had a great time yeah it's an amazing time
1: yeah
0: so um as they were filming um the last boy scout tony scott was gracious enough to allow a young man on set with him Hmm. who was a motor mouth movie fanatic who just peppered Tony non-stop with questions about his camera angle choices, his work with the actors, how to run a set, etc, etc. Oh. That young man was, of course, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> that was on set somehow for the majority of Last Boy Scout.
1: Oh my god.
0: When they finished production, he had endeared himself to Tony Scott. And Tony Scott said, Oh, I'll take a look at some of your stuff. Quentin gave him the screenplays to Reservoir Dogs and True Romance. On a flight from either to England or back from England, I'm not, don't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry about that <laughs> important detail. Tony was able to read both scripts. He got off the plane. He gave Quentin Tarantino a call and said, I plan on directing both of them. Oh and God. then Quentin Tarantino s- still just outside of the video, like, basically a video store clerk for the most part he's, at this
1: point. He's tells like Dante him, and Clerks.
0: Yes. <laughs> Which is an interesting thing I was reading about Clerks 3 was the, apparently like Clerks 3 is like the entire lesson is things were actually much better when we just worked at this grocery
1: store oh my god i don't know it's very
0: like yeah it's very like people say it's very depressing The thought like basically like you're just living in this one moment that you had
2: Uh and
0: yeah i do yeah Yeah. um (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean one could say that basically tarantino starting the podcast he's on now with his former video store buddy roger avery Oh wow! He's reliving something similar to that too. That's um, true. But Quentin Tarantino has multiple Academy Awards, millions and millions of dollars to his name, and one of the most impeachable, unimpeachable cinematic catalogues of his era. <laughs> so everything's fine. But basically, what he told Tony Scott was, "I'm directing Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. but you, but I'm, I'd be happy to negotiate for true for you to take over True Romance."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so in two weeks time we will be watching the product of this young man showing up on set for Last Boy Scout because True Romance did indeed become Tony Scott's next film Mon Dieu Mon, dear.
1: Mon dear. <laughs> <laughs> Dying now <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so we'll cover that in two weeks um, for the show uh, to sum up, though, we I think we both uh, found these two movies this week fun. Yeah. We recommend them. Give them a go. Uh, they're a good time. Uh, both currently streaming uh, either through Paramount Plus or Showtime. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a rumor going around that they're going to combine them. Paramount Plus and Showtime, so perhaps you won't need two subscriptions like I have at some point.
1: (laughs) You can watch. You mean you can watch Billions and Star Trek Discovery on the same platform? Freaking back to
0: back. What the hell? If you wanted to, it's like Bobby Ax Axelrod and Picard
1: in a two-hour time frame. (laughs) Man, I'd love to see uh, at Bobby the Ax Axelrod uh, just have some trouble with tribbles. I'd love to see some tribbles.
0: Yeah. It's like, I used to watch Bill I, I don't have like my billions like impersonation down as much mm-hmm. as I used to. I I was a big billions fan the first few seasons. Mm-hmm. But uh I was gonna do some sort of like the writers on that show, like their big trope is that they'll take something like out of pop culture and use that as a metaphor for what's going on uh on the show. So it's like this is when like this is like the time when the macho man Randy Savage fought ricky the dragon steamboat at wrestlemania 4 you know or something like that this
1: this represents the decaying of america
0: yeah this is like this is like what the the moment when um metallica split or something like that you know
1: (laughs) stocks plummet yeah
0: Yeah, exactly yeah it it, no it's fun it's an enjoyable style no no quentin is a big billion said too
1: There we go. Yeah, no, I bet it's it's a good it's i imagine it's a good time. And it seems like it doesn't treat itself as seriously as comparable shows, which is nice.
0: Yeah, like I think that there's like I've never seen Succession, but the impression I get Succession takes itself incredibly seriously and billions is like a very fun like CD soap opera at times and yeah. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. For sure. Uh but first, before we hit true romance, next week we're taking we're heading back to the Ridley side of things to take a look at Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise is currently streaming on HBO Max, from what I understand. Um, But with HBO Max, you never know when shit just disappears. So (laughs) we got to get on it, let alone our audience getting on it to view that. (laughs) And then um, I took a look It might change, of course, in the next two weeks, but currently True Romance is just available in most providers to rent. Mm-hmm. um there's no um it's not currently on any of the networks yeah to stream but uh worthwhile for like a 399 rental if you have the time so uh if you have thoughts on black rain or um the last boy scout we would love to hear them uh check in with us at the academy academy podcast at gmail.com or on our twitter page at the acad acad uh, we're trying to do some more fun stuff on there. So check in with us there.
1: There's some bits and goofs. You should check the Twitter page.
0: Yeah, we're finding cool photos of Tony Scott in short shorts. <laughs> um, it's all there, folks. <laughs> it's,
1: all, it's all there for the ganderin.
0: For the ganderin. <laughs> so that has been um, Black Rain and Last Boy Scout. We'll see you next week for in and Louise. For Patrick, I'm Don, and we'll see you next week. Adios.
2: I'm holding you so tight. You know, you could have been a hundred. The way you swept me out my feet. You know, you could have been a pro. And baby, so sweet. You know, you could have been some perfume. Where you could have been. Anything that you wanted to. I can tell you. Where do the things you do? Alright.